I want to welcome you back to God Size Living, the podcast. Um, today we're going to pick up uh, where we left off last week. Last week I introduced a, a term to you that I, I think sits at the heart of the last verse of chapter 7 in Daniel's story. Now, Daniel has received a dream from God. And, and ultimately, as the dream comes to an end, he has to answer the question, what what am I going to do with this this dream? And, and if I had to pick just one word out that I think really just captures the whole of what's happening inside of Daniel, the word would be would be burdened. First, uh, as we talked about last week, he's burdened by the overwhelming sense of what God is doing in history. Uh, the entire period of, of his life, from the, from the moment that he is captured and taken into Babylon to this moment where he's given insights by God to things that are getting ready to happen. He's filled with a question, what, what God are you doing? What, why this exile? Why have you left Israel where it is today? And he's come to understand something, that God is not acting against Israel. He's acting for Israel. He's seeking through an exile to bring Israel back to a place where it's able to take hold of its mission, the mission to be a light to the Gentiles, uh, God's voice to the world, uh, that entity of people that God's chosen to use to bring his gospel to mankind. And as God's getting ready to act, there are things that are going to happen in history that, again, Daniel is given insight into, whether that be the overthrow of Babylon itself, uh, the rising up of Persia, its overthrow, the rising up of Greece, its overthrow, the rising up of Rome. The, the, the primary thing that Daniel walks away with in this dream is the recognition that above all of it, there is a God at work whose kingdom will endure forever. And God, God is calling Daniel to be that voice to Israel as it moves into the post-exilic phase, as it moves out of exile to once again join God in this mission for the world. So what does that look like? Again, I want to come around this term. The word is burdened. And I asked a question at the beginning of our, our podcast last week. What are you burdened for? Now, it strikes me that we, we, we as a people become burdened over things that are hard in life. That, that's understandable. Uh, if I asked you, if we could have a private conversation and ask you what's, what's burdening you today, no doubt uh, most of us could, could list things that are just heavy and hard uh, in our lives. And that, that's fair. That's, that's, that's just fair game. That's true. That's, that's part of our lives. But there's another sense in which the question becomes soul deep. And, and it's what happens when we ask the question, but am I really burden for souls, for lost people? That, that, do, I, do, I, do I share that burden? And last week, what I wanted to recognize is just the reality that Daniel's walking away from this dream, a dream that he won't share with anyone. Think about this. He keeps it hidden in his heart. He doesn't share it with anybody and say, hey, I had a weird dream last night, or hey, I had this dream I want to tell you about. He doesn't share it with anyone for 14 years. Think about that. That's a long time to carry a burden. But he carries it because he's waiting for this moment in history where God is going to act. And he knows when God acts, it's time. 
it's time for, for me to be that voice that says, listen, here's what's been going on this whole time. God is trying to give us a burden for those who don't know him. He's calling us to join him in, in his mission to bring people into relationship with himself. And again, I just am asking that question of the church today. Do we feel that burden today? Today, what I want to do is I want to come around three observations that I believe relate to what it means to have a burden, a true, an authentic burden for the lost. In many senses, I believe that as God's church on earth, we do have what Daniel had in his hands. Uh, we described it last week as, as tomorrow's newspaper. We have it in our hands right now. We're, we're bearers of a story that the world desperately needs to hear. It's the story of a world that will end and a new one begin. It's the story of eternity and the question of where each one of the 150,000 souls that leave this world each day will spend it. And yes, that question should feel heavy to us. The scripture, Daniel 7, verse 28, asks us a question. Do you feel burdened for souls? So I, I want to ask, today. What does that look like? Three observations based upon this scripture. Observation number one. Observation number one, manufactured burden. Well, let's just say it this way. Fake burden is offensive both to man and to God. So please don't go there. When I ask people in the church if they feel a burden for lost souls, the answer that comes back is almost autonomic. Do I feel burdened? Oh, yeah, yeah, pastor, yes. Yes, I feel a tremendous burden for lost people. But do we? Back in the 1990s, Willow Creek, a non-denominational community church in North Barrington, Illinois, developed a catchphrase for their mission, and it caught on across America. Willow described itself as a seeker-sensitive church. Now, the, the meaning of this, while not spoken explicitly, was that Willow as a church wanted to be known as a church that took Jesus's great commission seriously. In fact, they, they said, we're going to develop a ministry brand that seeks out and is accessible to those who are apart from Jesus Christ. That, that was, their, that was the, the bullseye in their target. Everything that Willow did reflected the mantra that was this church. We are sensitive sensitive to seeking those who don't know Jesus Christ. The language the church used was designed to be seeker-sensitive. The messages preached were deemed seeker-sensitive. Even the design of the church building itself was meant to be sensitive to seekers. But was it? Did the church really have a burden from the for the lost? You know, from the outside, the answer to that question appeared evident. Well, yeah. Um, on the outside, everything looked piously turned towards reaching the lost. Then came reveal. In an unprecedented way, Willow Creek began asking themselves hard questions, essence questions. Are we who we say we are? To help them answer these questions, the church hired, and I mean this literally hired, and th this was costly, an outside secular firm to conduct an internal study. They called this study Reveal. Anyone want to guess why? I believe it was because what the church said about itself and what it actually was, 
were two different things, especially the sense of burden that actually existed in the church for those outside of the faith. What Willow Creek determined is that instead of really having a burden for souls, what most of the leaders in the church, along with the people of the church, had was a burden for more church members. And the difference is huge. Willow received its identity from numbers. The more that attended the church, the more the church was able to say, watch us, we're reaching out. We are attracting the loss in masses. But the reality was different. When the reveal study was performed, what was discovered is the fact that most of the members of the church didn't know any truly lost people, nor did they make an effort to. Most admitted that other than Sunday mornings, they rarely, if ever, prayed for a single lost person, someone outside of the faith, and had never honestly sought to share their testimony with anyone. In fact, and this hurts a little bit, People that were outside of the faith were the first to see it. Most of those outside of the faith, also included in this reveal study, saw the church as more interested in itself than in them. Ouch. The truth is, they, they found, Willow's piety and language were most often found offensive by people outside of the church. I have a thought. And so does God. When it comes to authentic burden, know this. It can't be manufactured. It can't be. In fact, when the church becomes pious using language like we care for the lost, when, when it actually cares more about its internal ministries, this becomes offensive to God and to people outside of the church who, by the way, can spot a fraud a mile away. Again, when I ask people if they have a burden for the loss, it doesn't take long to get an affirmation back. Oh, yes, we desperately care for the loss. But do we? Ask yourself a question, by the way. It's not my goal today to be legalistic or offensive or to put you underneath the law. That's not my goal. But I do want to provoke us to thought. So I want you to ask yourself this. When is the last time? you had an authentic conversation with someone outside of the faith. When's the last time you felt wrecked, wrecked inside over someone who you know who's outside of the faith? When's the last time you were led by the Spirit into gut-wrenching prayer over someone you love and care about, but you know they're outside of a relationship with Jesus? I want you to hear me when I say that authentic burden cannot be manufactured or manipulated. So where does it come from? Observation number two. Authentic burden is birthed. It's birthed. It's birthed out of a relationship with Jesus Christ, period. That's where it comes from. It isn't manufactured. It's not the result of a of, of membership in a church. No, it's birthed into you out of a relationship with the one who is burdened on our behalf. I think a lot about this. When Jesus Christ was on earth, everywhere he went, he was filled with burden. You know why? Because at the same time that he was fully man, he was also fully God. That means he couldn't go anywhere without knowing exactly what was happening inside of a person. He just looked at a person and knew all of their broken places, whether they had cancer beginning in their bodies, though they didn't know it if they would develop MS or Parkinson's disease, 
He knew who would suffer from dementia, losing their ability to remember their spouse and loved ones. With just one glance, he knew. But he also knew something else. He knew those who had and those who did not have faith. And he was filled with burden. He was filled with a burden that no human being other than the God-man, Jesus Christ, could ever bear. Now, follow this. When we come into relationship with him, I believe that one of the great gifts that we receive is, in fact, the gift of burden. It's inside of our relationship with Jesus that we receive just a small piece of his burden for the few people that he intentionally places in our lives during our days here on earth. And that burden, the burden that he shares with us, let's be honest, it's heavy. It's not fake. It's not manufactured. No, it's just the heaviness of knowing that God is calling you to be part of his plan to bring the gospel into a life. It's the heaviness of knowing that apart from the gospel creating faith, a person that you love may spend eternity apart from Jesus. And yes, it's too heavy to bear, which leads me to a third and last observation. Observation three, bearing a burden for someone outside of the faith truly is a matter of following the lead of the Spirit. One of the things that's taken me a while to discover in my life are the many directions that bearing a burden for someone you love might take you. Honestly, my first response when God gives me a burden for someone outside of the faith is usually not a good one. I panic. Something inside of me says, whoa, this is a soul and this is eternity we're talking about. I better get some gospel into them fast. I mean, what if they die before I can get it out of my mouth? I want to see them in eternity, so I better get busy fast. You can hear it, can't you? The biggest problem with that response is the word I. That's right. I, I actually get in God's way. What I've learned to do instead is to ask the Spirit to steward the burden that he's placed inside of me. So don't get me wrong. I still panic. I do inside, but I just don't act on that panic. Instead, I step back and ask him to step forward and lead. After all, he is the spirit and he knows what this person needs more, more than I do. So I ask him, spirit, would you please steward this burden? You've birthed it inside of me. Now guide me. And he does. Sometimes he guides into prayer. There are people that I'm praying for right now in my life, people that don't know the Lord. And trust me, every instinct inside of me says rush towards them, get the gospel into them as fast as you can. But guess what? That rarely works. And most of the time, it becomes manipulative. So the Spirit says, stop, pray. When we pray, we join the Spirit of God. Now, there's people that I've prayed for over long periods of time prior to the Spirit ever opening up a door for our authentic conversation and the sharing of the gospel. Then there's a time when he guides us to simply serve. Serve first, the gospel in action, and then listen, and then listen some more, and then speak. Isn't it true that this is the first posture Jesus and his disciples, for that matter, often took? They didn't rush up to people and shove the gospel at them. They simply served them. And in the process, doors were opened for the gospel to be spoken. Then there's times when the Spirit leads us into testimony. I always encourage Christians to be ready. When the Spirit calls to share their story, and I mean all of it, the good, the bad, 
and the ugly. What I've discovered is there's a reason Jesus calls us witnesses. Witnessing does not involve having to prove anything. It's just one person sharing with another their journey in the most authentic way possible. It's you and me helping another person know that our lives have been and are an ongoing journey with a living God who's known us from before the creation of the world. And then let me finally say this. Most of the time what the Spirit leads us into when it comes to a burden for people outside of the faith is a long journey. Take him beside another towards the cross of Jesus. I'll never forget a couple coming to me with a question. They wanted to get into ministry, and in particular, ministry with young adults. So they asked me, you know, Pastor, what do, what do we need to get started? I think they expected me to hand them a, a study book or, or a Bible study, but, but I didn't. Instead, I handed them a sign. It read Motel 6. I just started sharing with it the, the nature of ministry. You're going to have highlights and hard times. It's going to be people that, that love you, and some are going to break your heart. Through it all, the thing that's most needed is your presence. Motel 6's motto is, we keep the lights on. And I told them, that's what Scott calling you into. He's calling you into a magnificent journey with others that you need to keep the lights on for. Ministry is not 8 to 5. No, it's something that happens at 2 a.m. when a fight takes place and he breaks up with her and she's a train wreck. Or 3 p.m. when you get a call and someone says, I need to talk because all I want to do right now is get so drunk that the world disappears. But I really don't want to. That's when the lights need to be on. Walking with the lost often means walking with ordinary yet broken people. It does not happen in accord with our schedules. It isn't convenient or orderly. Sometimes it will make you weep to the core of your being, and sometimes it will bring you the greatest blessing that we get on this side of eternity. The blessing of seeing the Spirit lead someone you have come to love in a relationship with Jesus. And that is what I call the burden, a true gift from God. That's it for this week. I want to pray God's blessing over you. I do keep you and your family in my prayers, and I ask for your prayers for me. So until next week, have a God-sized week. <music>